I, I'm going to do something different. I, I'm, I had a message the first service, and I felt like to change the message. Um, I spoke this message uh, a few weeks ago at the first service, but uh, things took a different direction in the second service. So it's kind of hard to keep that juggling act going. It's only, it's only like two things, but you know, I wasn't that great at juggling. Anyway, so... But, uh, so I'm going to do this. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, if you would turn with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. I love, uh, you've heard me say this before, I love John as a writer, the way that he writes, you know, the, uh, in, his, in the Gospels. Um, uh, can I just say this? If you've heard this before, there's no coincidence that you're hearing it again. Can I just tell you that? So there's no coincidence that you're hearing this again. Um, <clears throat> John as a writer, it, to me, is more poetic. It's like he's trying to describe infinity or eternity. And, uh, and so it's like, how do, you, how do you describe eternity? So he, he starts out with this. He starts out with his own experience. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke... I, I'm, nothing against them. They start out mainly with an event, uh, either the birth or, or Jesus's ministry. And John starts out with this experience. It's almost like it opens up and he's talking from this experience and he's trying to describe something that's indescribable. How do you describe something that's indescribable? And so in 1 John 1, it starts out, verse 1 says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. The, this one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him and now testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. And so here is John, the apostle, who's been three years with Jesus, seen countless miracles. He's, he says at the end of his book that if all the stuff that Jesus was, had done was actually written down, there wouldn't be enough books to contain the material or, or everything that happened. So here's John saying, hey, this is the summary, so to speak, that I've gotten having been lived with three three full years with the Son of God, the one who is the word of life itself. And he says in verse five, and this is the, verse four, this is the message we heard from him and now declare to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And I'm like, what? This is the message that we heard from him. In other words, if I could... If I could distill the three years that I spent with Jesus, encountering Jesus, touching the word of life, touching eternity, watching the Son of God, if I could distill down my three years with him, the message that we heard from Jesus is actually this. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And I'm like, John, that doesn't help me at all. Like what? What? <laughs> God is light, okay, like I'm supposed to walk away and say, oh, no, no, no. 
The thing about it is, what he's talking about is, is if you, if we can start there and realize that anything that has a shadow, that has a trick, that has a, a, a twist to it, and, and understand if there's anything like that in our uh, imagination concerning God, that's not him. He is not a God who will lead you astray, who will give you bad advice, who will dangle a carrot out in front of you. Anything that remotely looks like that is not him. And so he's like, ah, I can sum it up in one verse. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So if you and I, when we're praying and we imagine God and he seems far away or he seems like, you know, I, I said this uh, before, you know, sometimes I would pray and it felt like if, if heaven had an edge, I was right there going, Woof, almost went back to where I came from. It's like, like I barely got in. And when I would try to picture God, he was so far away and actually it was kind of gray and I mean, I could see light, but in between me and him was darkness. That's not him. He is all, he is, he is all exposed. He's not hiding anything from you. He's not hiding anything from me. Anything that you want, you can come. There's nothing hidden. There is no darkness in him whatsoever. No shades of gray, nothing. He's all approachable. Nothing hidden. Anything that you, he's got it. everything. There's no teasing. He's not teasing you. He's not dangling a carrot out in front of you. That's darkness. There's no trickery. He's not withholding anything from you. All love, all joy, all peace, all goodness, all kindness, all gentleness, all of it. All smile. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. There's no frowning. He's not upset. So, so John is saying, if you, if you can get that, that's the starting point. So that's who we're talking about. This is who we're praying to. This is who is watching over your life. And watching over my life. So, with that, that's just the introduction. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to start with verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1, says this. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge that we should always pray and never give up. That we should and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. 
I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Now, when he says that this woman is driving me crazy, the literal translation is, is she is punching me under the eye. So here's God. Jesus is telling a story that we should always pray in. And he's bringing this story in about an unjust judge. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now, this passage starts out by Jesus saying to teach his disciples to always pray and never give up. So he's, our first impression here seems like that Jesus is, is comparing, bringing up this unjust judge and, 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 and uh, comparing him to his father. And the lesson that, it seems to be, that he seems to be telling here is, if you would take the lesson from this unjust judge, and the, uh, meaning, the, well, being the unjust judge who, number one, doesn't care about people, doesn't care about God, but if you punch him enough under the eye, he will eventually give you your request. Is that right? And so we've, we've, we've read this going, oh, wow, great, uh, my heavenly father who loves me, I've got to just wear him out with my request. Otherwise, he's not going to do anything. Which seems a little weird that Jesus would compare his loving kind. You know, a, few, a few chapters earlier, he said, uh, which of you fathers, if, you're, if your son or daughter asks you for bread, you would give them you know, a scorpion or a fish or an egg or, or a snake or a scorpion. It's like, so it's like, whoa, why are you bringing up this unjust judge now in our timeline of walking with you? And you're trying to encourage us to always pray and never give up. So for me to be encouraged to always and never give up, what you're telling me is I've got to punch my dad in the eye in order to get him to answer me. So it seems like that what he is presenting here is a comparison. Unjust versus just. But what I would like to suggest Instead of it being a comparison, it's a contrast. He's actually contrasting his loving heavenly father with an unjust judge. To contrast actually means to compare in order to show unlikeness. Contrast is to compare in order to show unlikeness. In other words, your heavenly father is nothing like that. Jesus is contrasting an unjust, unbelieving judge who gave a just decision in the end. He's comparing him to God. 
If an unloving, unjust, unloving judge gave a just decision, it's what Jesus is saying, how much more will a loving father grant justice to his children? That's what he's saying. So Jesus is starting back, uh, back over here that we should always and never give up to contrasting an unjust judge and a loving father. If an unjust judge actually gave a just decision in the, in the end, how much more will your heavenly father bring justice to you? And so if that's the case, then that helps me in my faith knowing that I should always pray and never give up because my heavenly father loves me and will answer my request. Is that good? So it also says, but when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? So Jesus started out with always pray, never give up. And then he ends this whole story with, but when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? And the question is, is who are the many that he's referring to? Is it the number of believers versus non-believers? Is that what he's talking about? Like who has the faith? Who's going to be a Christian? Who has the, who is the Christian faith? And put it in our terms. Who has that kind of faith and who doesn't? Or actually another translation of this verse says, when he comes back, will he find faith? So if you look at it in that translation, will he find faith? It gives us the answer as to who he's talking about when he says, when he comes back, will he find faith? It's not about the believers and the non-believers. It's about the believers. When he comes back, will he find faith? Will he find faith among his people? So that tells us that if it's the believers, then the day of the Lord's return, the faith level will be so diminished or so weakened that he will be puzzled at the number of his followers who actually have any faith. Always pray and never give up. Why do we give up? Why do we give up? Why do we give up our prayers? Why do, why do we give up praying our prayers? I uh, heard something <clears throat> oh, a few weeks ago by Bill Johnson. And he says, the enemy is trying to get us into the arena of unbelief. This is my paraphrase. Because in this arena of unbelief, when we are in this arena of unbelief, we stand in defiance to his nature, which is faithfulness. When we are in unbelief, which is the enemy's target, this is the enemy's uh, desire is to get every one of the believers into an area of unbelief because when we are in unbelief, we stand in defiance to his faithfulness. I'm just going to begin to highlight some places in Scripture 
where faithful or faithfulness is referred to in the area of pointing to Jesus. So in Revelation 19, 11, John says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. And he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. The rider is faithful and true. There's like, I I thought it was Jesus. No, 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 no. There's another facet of who he is that hit the name that faithful and true is an eternal name. He will always be known as, he is known and it will always be known as faithful and true. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because that's not the name, or that's not the, which actually reflects his character. It's his nature, faithful and true. And yet, we find that in our imagination of him, he is, I don't want to say anything but that, but for some of us, anything but that. Which is okay. It's okay. Because I'm going to tell you, there's another scripture that says, which I don't have it on here, that says, He is faithful even when we are faithless. So the good news that I have this morning is, is that true to His character of being faithful, He is going to prove Himself faithful to you. I get paid by the hour. Faithful. So you know me, I have to look it up in a dictionary because faithful, yeah, oh yeah, faithful, faithful in the dictionary. True to one's word. This is his eternal name. He's on a white horse. Faithful. True to one's word or true to one's promises. True to one's vow. Steady in allegiance. Reliable, trusted. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's no room for him. Darkness would be unfaithful. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I believe that one of the reasons that we give up praying is because somehow we have deemed him as unfaithful. In John chapter 1, he says, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Again, the, the faithfulness. So John, John's trying to describe the one who's indescribable. And later in, in, this, in, the, in the book of John, in John's gospel, he's trying to describe him. And he says, here's one of the takeaways from my experience with Jesus is that uh, God's unfailing love, God's unfailing love and faithfulness, that's what I would equate Jesus to. That's what I experienced with Jesus, is the unfailing love and faithfulness. It's like, well, why didn't you say power? Or why didn't you say miracles? Or why didn't you say wisdom? Or why didn't you say, no, no, no. The thing that stood out the most to John in his experience was unfailing love and faithfulness. So, God's faithfulness might be one of the greatest targets of the enemy to assault in our lives. I believe, again, it's one of the reasons why I believe we quit praying. 
is because we don't think he's going to show up. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. He's coming. He's coming. Hold on. You guys are looking at me like you're mad at me. He's coming. Hold on. Proverbs. I, I, I threw this one in just because we, we took so long to look at the, the atonement. And this one blew me out of the water when it says that unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. I was like, I, I thought it was, I thought it was like a life for a life or I thought it was blood, you know, which it is. What this is describing is the quality of the sacrifice, the lamb that was actually being uh, look, looked at for flaws, one of the qualifications of the lamb that would provide the uh, uh, atonement is that lamb had to have a quality of unfailing love and faithfulness in order to meet the requirement for atonement for your life and my life. Mark 9. <clears throat> In Mark chapter 9, it says, and one of the crowd answered him, said, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with the spirit which makes him mute. So Jesus is coming down from the mountain. He's got his disciples with him, uh, 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 the, three, the three amigos. And there's this, there's, this, uh, there's this conversation. It's actually an argument. And, there, and uh, uh, it, this man says, It is often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. Like I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. But if you can do anything, could you help us? Jesus says, if you can. So I used to read that like, if you can, like, I, I will cut you. How dare you? How dare you think that I don't have enough, you know, like, What? In, the, in, in, in this vein that we're looking at, called the faithfulness of God, I wonder if it went and, and stung him because it hit the place in his heart where he is absolutely faithful. And he's like, oh, if you, if you can, this is what I'm all about. This is my nature. Fast forward in the book that you're reading and you'll see me on a white horse. Faithful and true. So I believe that the Lord this morning, the, I believe that the Lord is wanting to minister his faithfulness to you. I believe that through this, that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, could you bring it back up again? Could you bring back up hope again? Because the one who is faithful is wanting to meet your need. He who is faithful will be faithful to you. He is faithful even when I am faithless. I don't even know what to do with that. Because my math doesn't work like that. My math of me deserving a touch from God actually looks like this. If I do, then he will. And if, but if I don't, then he won't. You're saying that, Jeff, that he is faithful... Even when I am faithless, I don't know what to do with my hands. 
that's too good to be true. Absolutely. God is light. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. At all. It's nowhere close to his nature to not be faithful. Nowhere close. Look at this. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with this verse, but I'm going to show you another version. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. How many people in here fear him? Okay, there's a few, a few that don't, but <laughs> the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and it's righteousness to children's children. Look at this. The loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness or his, his faithfulness to his gracious promises are to children's children. The faithfulness of his promises are for children's children. Not just for you, it's going to splash off of you and hit your kids. All right, let's take communion.